everyone, thank you for tuning in to the Brick and Mortar podcast. Um, this is a interim video chat series that we're doing in honor of social distancing. I'm taking the time to reach out to a bunch of my peers and discuss how coronavirus and COVID-19 have changed the industries in which they operate uh, and ultimately trying to tie it back to the real estate space. So I hope you enjoy these discussions and insights as much as I do. an episode that I recorded with Adam Darvey, who is a recruiter in the construction space. Um, Adam sheds a lot of good light on what we can do as companies and as individuals to deal with probably one of the biggest challenges that's happened as a result of COVID-19, which is the inability to work and the layoffs that this has caused. And I think that uh, we, we dabble a little bit in how this could factor in as an interruption in the supply chain of real estate. Um, anyway, I hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed making it, um, and I hope that it brings you as much value as it did to me. All that you're in right now and what's changed for you in the past month. <clears throat> yeah, so thanks for having me, Dan. Um, I'm Adam Darvey-Canivore, and I've been working in the hospitality sector of construction for the past year and a half. I was recently laid off along with many of the similar people in our industry um, looking for work, but most importantly, trying to take a step back and make sure that I'm not rushing uh, to fill my time with, with, uh, with next opportunity, making sure that I understand where my skills align and where I can help people moving forward. Right, okay. Um, so give me a, a general overview on what the construction space looks like right now. And I know that yours, your experience is a little bit tailored towards the, the hospitality end of things too. So what, what's changed in the past three weeks as a result of uh, coronavirus and the, you know, the, the global pandemic? Well, the first thing to talk about is, of course, layoffs. Um, I think what will be really interesting to see is how different companies um, in construction, specifically general contracting, they subcontract upwards of 80% of their work. And we don't know what that means for the health and safety policies of the subcontractors right. and how they're going to approach this because you have to view it as an amalgamation of a bunch of different kinds of companies who all have different goals and who all want to protect their, their employees at different rates. Um, and especially with layoffs coming down, you're really going to see where the efficiencies can be found from top to bottom, right. especially in the VP positions and uh, those positions where a director of operations might have had eight project managers working beneath them. And those eight project managers may have been managing eight projects each. So I think, you'll find a lot of companies fine tuning their approach and where they want to spend their time. What does that look like on a, from a, a capital perspective and from an employment perspective, like are, mm-hmm. does this, has this created an imbalance in the labor pool and such that, um, I mean, from your perspective and that I don't want to try and 
get into labor economics because they don't think either of us are really qualified to talk about that. But, um, you know, right. like I know that there's, especially in the condo supply chain, there's a, a lot of things that can't, we can't afford to have happen. Um, you know, one would be values decreasing and two would be projects not completing on time at scale. Um, I I know I suspect that hospitality is a little bit less vulnerable, but Mm -hmm. because you're not delivering a for sale unit, but, um, what is, how does that whole thing look right now? So in terms of candidates and the market, we've been in a candidate driven market for quite some time. And what that means is there are very few companies in the context of how many employees or potential employees and skilled trades and skilled managers there are, especially coming from overseas. And I'm really concerned about how many expats have joined our market. We need more um, more people in the workforce here in, here in Canada, but most of them are, are pegging towards uh, management positions when really what we need is, is hands-on laborers. Right. Um, so that's the first point is, is how do we bring that, that talent pool um, into a more functional, relatable um, skill set where a lot of them don't have the skills um, that you need in, in the local market. Um, local health and safety codes are, are vastly different um, and building codes. Um, so people who understand that most are the ones who are going to make it out of this. But moving forward, I think it's still going to continue to be a candidate-driven market because there's always construction. Um, we're always building. Now, yeah. now that might change uh, what we build, but at the end of the day, these companies the general contractors and developers, they're always willing to hire people as long as there's work. Right. So as long as you have a good skill set and you can communicate effectively, you will have your pick of the litter, no doubt. So what advice would you give to people who are dealing with um, layoffs right now? Like I know that we've seen rolling layoffs are, are are you advising people to wait and and try and go back to their existing employment? Are you advising people to try and apply their skill set to uh, you know perhaps a public sector or public service uh, position? <clears throat> Is there advice that you can give to a, a supply side um, individual in the in the construction space right now that that is is impacted directly by this? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, there are a lot of people employed in our space. Um, it's difficult to encapsulate the entire scope of construction. Um, I think something like one, one in five Canadians are employed in our space. Right. Now, when you ask what should we do, I think that comes down to where you're coming from. Um, most importantly, are you on the vendor side or are you on the client side? Um, there's also manufacturing side. Um, I'm from the client side, um, and, and the contractor side. Um, and I think in our space, it's really important to understand who the companies are, 
why they exist and what their delivery model is like and what your responsibilities are going to look like because construction is a really slow moving industry um we're laggards we don't like to innovate and with that you're starting to see younger companies where a lot of baby boomers are holding on to their positions across the market while there's younger people like you and i are who are leaving those companies and are doing some really innovative stuff. And, you know, they're using social media, they're, they're reaching out um, to their clients with, with useful information. They're not relationship selling as much as uh, we've been told to do. They're trying to deliver value. And I think that's where people have to ask themselves, what kind of company do I want to work for? And it is invaluable everyone should speak to a recruiter, speak to as many recruiters as you can speak to me, speak to 10 others, because we understand why they deliver the way they deliver. And we understand all the pain points that employees have had at those companies. Um, I'll give you an example. My previous employer, we, uh, we specialize in hospitality, uh, casinos, restaurants, fine dining, also quick service restaurants such as A&W's. And the way that our model was set up was to be high touch, high frequency, lots of detail. And the question you have to ask yourself is moving forward with capital demands <laughs> becoming so tight, are people willing to pay for that much time and effort on a project? Or do they just want four walls and a roof? Um, so I think starting to think about that what what's the value that they bring to the market and what are people going to be looking for when all this is settled that's what you want to look for and a really quick way to do that is have a 10-minute conversation with someone who's interviewed people who've spoken to all these companies or have worked there if you were to be asked that question the direction that the market's heading and what those demands are going to look like and how they're changing what would your your thesis be on you know and even i don't need you to, to form any conclusions because i know how difficult that is and i know how easily you can be held to them but uh if you could give me even just a yeah. allude to a couple of trends that you're seeing um you know beyond what you just said i, I think that'd be really helpful for yeah. a lot of people on the supply and demand side of the uh the employment equation yeah um well first and foremost i I giggle when I hear people trying to predict what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> just so happens it's, it's the same people who have been saying all along, don't shut down the sites. Right. And if, if you were saying don't shut down the sites two weeks ago, I don't want to hear from you. I don't, I don't want to hear you with your predictions because you really don't know. No one knows. Now, I think it's important to look at the economics of where people will be spending their time. So people will be spending more time at home, but especially in the hospitality sector, we'll start seeing a lot more of what's known as ghost kitchens. Are you familiar with that term? Uh, yes, but not enough to like, I guess it's where they're, they're cooking from a remote site, right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, well, 
back to what I was saying about the high touch, high frequency um, construction and design uh, model. Uh, my, uh, my managers at my previous firm, they always talked about the first 10 feet. Right. You walk into a facility, you walk into a restaurant, you want to spend most of your money and, and planning and creative energy on the first 10 feet. Hmm. So it's going to come down to what the experience is going to be. And we can't have much of experience if we're expected to social distance. Right. Um, it's going to be difficult. It's, 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 it's going to change. It's going to be less tacit. It's going to be more virtual. And what, what's fascinating to me is seeing all the five-star restaurants that are closing first because most of it comes down to the experience. The, the food doesn't live up to the, the price point. Right. So, so you're saying that, you know, the, some part of the reason that we're seeing that is that you have to go there for the, for the food to be five star. And, and so mm -hmm. they're not really in high demand as a result of right. social distancing because people aren't ordering that food to their house. Right. Right. And I could see people maybe developing um, different kinds of offerings for delivery um one thing could be food that is just barely cooked it's it's cooked to the point where you might need a four to five minute reheat on a pan um another thing that i saw online that was fascinating is uh is bonds some restaurants in in new york they're issuing bonds to their uh their customers so that at a future date you could actually go and sit down at a 70% discount or a 30% discount. Pretty fascinating. Yeah. I, uh, I wonder the, uh, the legality of that concerns me a little bit, especially in the U S where it's very simple to, to file for chapter 11 and, and not have to honor that. Um, right. I mean, in Canada, you see that in, you know, you're not allowed to, um, you're no longer allowed to sell a lifetime gym membership. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it has to be, I don't know. There's, there has to be some sort of finite period on a, on a gym membership because I guess a lot of the, the gyms were going out of business and people were left screwed basically. Fascinating. I, I know someone who was trying to do a model like that. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, there's some guys doing a racetrack up North. <laughs> well, I mean with, uh, with that um, stuff you can, cause it's, uh, it's equity, right? So, right. um, like those people would be investors, not, um, clientele. So I don't know, man. I, mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's, uh, it, that, that whole financial innovation, the number of financial innovations that you're seeing occur as a result of regulatory right. changes is kind of funny right. from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially with like so, in the U S sorry to interrupt you, but in, in the U S where you're looking at the jobs act and you see so much uh, success in, in crowdfunding uh, yeah. and in Canada, you basically can't, can't crowdfund anything. And the one, the one subversion that we saw around it um, was syndicated mortgages. And I mean, we all know what kind of a mess that became. So. Right. Anyway, sorry, you're gonna, right. You're gonna say something. No, I was going to ask you um, what, what have you been hearing about lately in terms of, different vehicles and mechanisms, um, in, in my space, in our space rather. Um, honestly, I think you're right that it, it, it's a pretty, um, 
fixed and equilibrium supply chain. Like I don't, I don't see a lot of innovation or change happening there. Um, even on the financial side, I mean, like from, from a merely, um, financial perspective, I think you're seeing a little bit more creativity with the promote structures of developer and builder partnerships, joint venture partnerships in such that, you know, builders know Mm -hmm. that they're valuable, especially when you're getting into high rise stuff. Like once, you know, I think that there's like this, there's this middle ground right now where there's a lot of guys who are looking to get in to to jump from that mid rise to high rise. Um, So like the demand for a $20 million site in Toronto right now is astronomical. Like anything where it's, you know, one, a uh, hundred to 250,000 GFA gross floor area. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lineup of people looking for that. I mean, I think it was Colliers who had this site listed in North York, um, the olive lands where, you know, there's so many um, people interested. We had a lot of clients who were looking to, to develop a site like that. And um, there's, there's, it's a feeding frenzy in that, in that mid cap development everybody's trying to get into the low end of, of concrete and high rise product. Um, mm-hmm. And so, that, so, but to builders who know what they're doing in that are, are not like they're scarce, right? You got, right. you know, Tucker. Um, right. I mean, and, and a lot of them basically have established partnerships, you know, like your Tucker, great golf, um, a couple groups from right. the States. ED, Ellis Dawn, PCL. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, yeah, well, yeah. And it's, it's, it's going to be difficult for, for even the biggest of, uh, of corporations. Um, but the nice thing for them is they can shift to civil pretty easily. Right. Well, yeah, like that's, Um, yeah, that's the scale at which they're building. Right. It's so robust. Um, but back to, um, ghost kitchens. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so a ghost kitchen is, is exactly what it might sound like. I've heard of another term, cloud kitchens. Okay. Um, it's where you don't have a storefront. You just produce a menu of items and you deliver it. Yeah, I mean, I've actually seen, like, there, there's a lot of that, actually. And I, and I think that right now, like, what we're seeing is going to um, force the hand of the market, the invisible hand of, of uh Keynesian economics or is it Smith who came up with the invisible hand who freaking knows I think it was Smith anyway um <laughs> the you know there are I think there are a lot of those what you're describing and and if you wanted to run a ghost kitchen you you could if you ran as a restaurant that had like very few opening hours or just didn't have any seats or whatever you could actually yeah. save yourself a little bit of dough on on rent and TMI potentially and you get right. the, the free advertising of the drive-by retail you know Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you're seeing that a lot in the States where, you know, there's some over a lot of over retailed, uh, cities where, you know, you can go get a a nice site in a, in a vacant power center strip mall and not serve really any Mm -hmm. customers because nobody's going to that, that mall. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how that trend that you're describing plays out. And I actually have a, I have a podcast that I recorded a while ago with, uh, the, one of the most prominent speakers on the idea of the retail apocalypse in Canada. And I'm, uh, I'm, it, it felt out of context as this whole COVID thing evolved. But so what we're going to do is we're going to provide an update to it on Friday of this week and then nice. release the full episode. So I think you'll find some insight there as well. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to have a listen. 
Um, um, on an individual level, like, be, you know, being in the recruitment space, it, for people who are listening who are in the real estate um, construction development space, what can what can somebody do right now to hedge against the risk of losing their job or to capitalize on, on the market right now, if they have lost their job? Um, yeah. Like what, what are, if you were to make a recommendation to an individual um, mm-hmm. to, to increase their, you know, economic attractiveness through their utility per se. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever it is like to just to, if, if you can help somebody, to establish a competitive advantage in a, in a market like this, what would you be telling people? Yeah. Well, first off, always start with solutions. Um, and that means you might want to come up with your own problems first. You can't find an answer without a question. Um, and I think right now a lot of companies are asking questions. Um, and I think you're going to be let go whether or not it's, it's, it's really out of your control. Um, but I would like to see more construction associations, um, taking a lead here. I'm, I'm really surprised how slow the government and the OGCA and the TCA, that's the Ontario general contractors association and the Toronto construction association. Um, I mean, I haven't been on their site much. I'm up at the cottage trying to, uh, get away from it all. But I don't see a lot of people looking to start communities. And um, I recommend that uh, if you have, you know, internet and, 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 and a computer, uh, reach out to the people that you used to work with. Um, start a group chat and talk about what you're seeing because we're all seeing different things. Um, as you've um, explained to me, the news cycle, um, it creates silos. And, and those silos exist in businesses, they exist in markets, industries, um, and they're going to exist based on the information that we consume at home. We're all at home now. And I think that before um, spending eight hours at the office with your team kept you within that silo, right? Yeah. And uh, it's, it's all the more important. And right now to not just talk about work right to talk about um your comfortabilities and and um one thing that shocked me was uh i i i called in to work from home twice and they were still expecting employees to come in and then next next hour laid off right and uh that was shocking to me because of how sudden it was. And I think from a management point of view, um, making sure everyone is in the loop is going to help you survive because the way you treat your employees right now is going to determine who comes back and, and who, who doesn't want to work with you. And it's a really small industry. Everyone knows each other. I saw, uh, funny tweet that I think I shared with you about um, this gentleman was talking about how he's going to do interviews moving forward when he's applying to future roles. And he says, one of the questions he's going to ask his future employer is what were you doing when COVID-19 hit? 
how did you treat your employees? It's, it's such an interesting thing that you mentioned that because I, I had a little bit of a, a Twitter beef yesterday about that because um, I've found it really admirable how certain brokers are handling this and, and really taking their um, social responsibility seriously and others obviously are, are not at all. Um, and uh, I was speaking in defense of, of one of the, the brokers in the city who has really been outspoken about you know, that about taking that responsibility seriously. And I actually interviewed uh, Brett Stein from, from Slavens um, earlier on this podcast, but, um, and a a couple of the individuals had chimed in and said, you know, I don't know if anybody's going to give a shit whether or not you were a nice guy during COVID as, as a broker. Like, I don't think, I don't know if consumers are going to, are going to care. And, and I, and I had said, you know, I, I really feel like that's a shame because of the culture that's evolving around, um, you know, uh, be holding your, your employer accountable, you know, from that tweet that you just described to me. And I, I think, I do really do think that people are going to be considerable or consider it of the way that you behaved. And I think that the, the individuals who can, uh, make that a part of their brand uh, moving forward uh, to me it, right. it's, like again I'm not saying that this is an opportunity to virtue signal because I really think that would be ingenuine and, and, and bad but I do think that like doing the right thing right now is is extremely important and I think mm-hmm. I suspect that I have enough faith in in society that I believe that people will be rewarded for doing that right the right way right would you think that I would say virtue Oh, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, do you think that on the, and do you, like, do you think that in the employment equation, it's going to be the same thing, right? It's, you know, and, and especially, I think the, the onus is going to be more on employers. They're going to be the ones who are going to be more held accountable. Yeah. You know, I, if it was me, the first question I'd be asking was, you know, what did you do? Like, like you said, what did you do during the time of COVID? Was it, did you lay off to protect the bottom line or, you know, do the best thing that you could? have a dialogue like right with everyone right right well yeah like i i uh i ran to to the cottage shortly after being laid off and my phone was pinging me with my my previous employer we need your laptop because we just decided we're gonna send everyone home to work tomorrow okay I'm self-isolating. I'm, I'm in quarantine three hours east of the city. Um, this is not a priority for me. Uh, you should have given your employees laptops. You should have been prepared for working from home. I think there, I recently listened to a podcast um, by the uh, founder of WordPress and he has a dispersed workforce and um, what he talks about is just like autonomous vehicles have different levels, zero through five, the organizations have different levels of autonomy as far as working from home goes. And I think what you'll see is the corporations or the companies, the groups that were already slipping into first and second position in that hierarchy are going to survive. Um, and they're, well, they have a much better chance at surviving. Um, and, and that's what I see, uh, for sure being, being important because now I'm stressed because, 
um, I'm not getting <laughs> my expenses paid back uh, because I still have my laptop here and I'm not driving back to Toronto. I'm not uh, heading back there anytime soon. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I think that, that everything, I think that people are acting like everything happened very fast, but um, you know, I mean, I've been aware of this since January and I think that a lot of the people that I know and that I'm interacting with online have been aware of this since, since January or even prior in December, you know, when the first outbreaks were happening, it's not like we were unaware of the potential economic implications of, of an event like this. And like, I know, I know people want to treat this like it's a black swan and that you couldn't have predicted that that was going to happen and have the impact that it did on the market. But I mean, it cruised in pretty slowly, like, you know, it was able to, you were able to see the quantifiable impacts on China two months, you know, so let's say there was a two month lead time. It, 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 I am a little bit disappointed, not only in, in the um, policy around this and the way that the government adapted to these changes, but, but also with the way that, that organizations did um, yeah. and, and as individuals, right? Like, I mean, let's make the assumption that it, it takes you two months to save up a two month um, buffer so that or an expense uh, emergency fund um right. you know, a lot of people are not in in good positions financially and that that scares me a little mm-hmm. bit and it makes mm-hmm. me sad mm-hmm. back to what you were saying about virtue signaling um that's a funny uh topic i i i think we're all a little self-conscious right now to beat the drum of covid However, there's a concept that I I often think about when I'm approaching my work, and that's almost compounding interest. I I view my work as compounding effort. Right. So I want my projects to give me something that I can lead into the next. Right. And I think in terms of virtue signaling and branding, if you're trying to leverage um, COVID to support your existing model, as in you're not trying to move the needle at all, that tells me you're not actually putting in the effort, you're just trying to capitalize. Right. Now on the flip side, if you are sitting down and absorbing the information you need from your employees, from your stakeholders, including your employees, um then you take that information and you spin it but you spin it in a way that it shows that you are putting in the effort i think that's 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 worth it and the market's going to show you do we need this or not and i think that's that's the problem is people aren't willing to risk anything right now obviously we're all very risk averse but people are losing their jobs there's there's no better time to try something different Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of us have nothing to lose right now. Exactly. So what's the best advice you can offer to somebody if, if you know, if, if like we all have entered into a, into a very defining moment in our lives where, you know, I, I found that that happened to me when I became a father, I just became shameless about the way that I do everything in such that my, my, my role in life is to take care of my family and, and nothing will stop me from doing that. Um, but it, it seems like everybody's kind of facing that economic reality that, you know, we actually have to 
work. <laughs> you know, the economy is not just going to take care. It's not just gonna, this liquidity pumping machine that's going to survive anything. Because if, if the economy was actually as strong as we, we want to believe it is, uh, a strong economy would have survived COVID and, and it's not. Yeah. 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 There's, there's definitely statistics to, to speak to what number of corporations rely on stimulus and stimulus alone. Um, I'd love to get that data. Maybe you can help me out. Probably. What, uh, but what, um, so what, what advice are you giving to people like as a, as a, a recruiter in the construction space? Like, what, cause you gave me some really good advice about like how I can, you know, interact better on, on LinkedIn and, um, and stuff like that. Like what, if somebody's yeah. just lost their job and they still want to be in the workforce, they don't want to, to get on EI, they, you know, mm-hmm. for them it's, it's the meaning of work. You know, are you saying yeah. like, what, what's the best advice that you can give to an, one individual in, in the construction space? Networking, 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 Digital. networking, networking. Digitally um, now, like so. Okay, so how do you, how do you network from a di- from social distance? Like, what's the yeah? So, so first and foremost, um, you gotta check your your pride at the door. Um, this is where salespeople will excel. If you've never sold yourself before, we all have. But if you if you've never really thought about how to sell yourself and your skills this is a good time to do that and a great time to talk to a recruiter. Um, I think joining groups um, on, on LinkedIn can really help. Um, the day I was let go, I sprung online and I gave you a call. I said, man, I, I really think this is going to shake a lot of people's lives. And to be honest, when I was laid off, there was very little happening in the market. I, I, uh, there's nothing for you to fall thinking. on either, right? Like, right, nobody was right. there for you. I didn't want to be alarmist and go, oh, like everyone who's going to be laid off, come, come speak with me, join this group. Um, but I did want to create something that, that could slowly pick up steam. So that's why I decided uh, to start a group called PARC, the PARC, yeah. the, the Professional Alliance of Construction and Real Estate. And the reason why I chose those two markets is Obviously, they're so intertwined, but they're all encompassing. Um, and I think joining groups like that, where you can s- stick your head out of your silo, because that's what a social network is. It's yeah. a it's a silo. Um, you got to expand your network. You got to send those those invitations to people you wouldn't regularly send invitations to, and say, hey, let's let's hop on a Zoom meeting. Yeah. Um, let's let's yeah. just chat for fifteen minutes. I. I'm sure you have the time. I know I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so functionally, what's the, the the role of of Park in in this current market? Just basically to kind of break down that barrier to entry and and build a little bit of um, comfort and and rapport between people, um, so that you know they can network more shamelessly than than they would have in the past yeah yeah why well, the the name is a bit of a play on words um i want it to be a closed off area where uh, right. people can communicate with those they wouldn't regularly have the opportunity to right that's where i see value um expanding your horizons in that sense 
Um, but I think I, I, I hypothesize that it's important to break through the noise right now. Right. There are so many LinkedIn groups out there where there are hundreds of thousands of members. Right. And it's all self-aggrandizing sales, posting yeah, yeah. links to your website. So I want to create something that's closed off where we pick and choose. Well, not pick and choose. It, I want it open to everyone, but I want it to be purpose-based. And I, and I think the purpose is going to come from the members. I'm, I am no genius when it comes to uh, understanding what people want, especially at a time like this. Right. So I think from, from my perspective, maybe I'll, I'll try and spend more time speaking with people and asking them what they want to see in the group. And then uh, you and I can do another podcast and, and chat about it. Yeah. It's interesting. Like when you had asked me at the beginning, what, you know, if I've seen any innovation happening as a result of these changes in COVID and, and what you're describing to me, like creating, you know, a, a digital environment, an online environment um, for professionals. I mean, to me, that's, that's a pretty strong case for, for innovation. Like you're taking the traditional model of a lot of these um, groups that, you know, have provided tremendous value to, to people in, in real estate, construction, land development, right. architecture. Right. I, I mean, the Urban Land Institute, Build, um, you know, GEMS. Right. There's so many different of these groups that, that really bridge the gap between, Bulma. you know. Yeah. But, but, but the way, from what I've seen is, you know, none of these guys are really trying to make a meaningful impact online and, and, and taking that whole environment and bringing it online. Like, I've seen a, a quite a few good examples in the sports space where they just moved an entire conference into an online environment with like 58,000 attendees. Right. Um, I, I feel right. like, I feel like, you know, this is a really good opportunity to um, help the real estate and construction space transcend that, that archaic mm -hmm. dependence on, on the traditional supply chain. What yeah. from, I understand that you want to, you want to, reach out to members as much as you can and find out what they want. But what's your vision for, for park and how it's going to add value to these individuals is just building, building strong relationships or does it go mm -hmm. further than that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and I want to learn from the members first and foremost, but uh, I also want to, Find some some reliable admins who who I know are effective writers and and can do the research um, on on historical trends and 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 what we can hypothesize without telling people it is what it is and this is how it's going to be. Trying to look at what's happened in the past and um, speaking of of um, institutions and. Uh, associations. I did hear that BC, yeah. uh, Work BC or Construction BC, did start a COVID um, group to try and uh, head this on. Um, mind you, the Vancouver market is much tougher than the Toronto market when it comes to employment. Um, it's harder to find work. It's harder to find projects. 
and it's harder to, to play it to, to pay employees, of course. Um, but one thing that I'm going to be looking at is is uh, the Spanish flu. Back in 1918, the Spanish flu was impacting construction here in Toronto, as well as in Vancouver, believe it or not. Right. Um, and people were still working. Uh, people still had to work. Um, so I want to look at what happened there and try and summarize those thoughts and, and, and how it impacted the communities um, and, and share that. But that's, that's more of a, a storytelling, conceptual um, idea, but really laws and regulations. Um, I think that there's so much secrecy in our, in, in our industry yeah, and, I was going to say like that, I feel like that's the biggest challenge that you're going to come across in, in, in accomplishing that goal, not so much from history. I mean, ideally, we would be able to learn from history, even feeling a century removed from it. You know, I, I still think that there are lessons to be found there. But yeah. from the guys that I've spoken with, I mean, I've tried to get people um, from the construction space on this podcast concept and, and nobody really wants to discuss what's going on there. And I think because it's it's one of the you know, beyond the landlord and tenant feud that's happening right now, I think that the, the construction union versus, you know, office and, and, and site right. versus office uh, feud right now is becoming a really complicated one because, you know, these guys are on a high rise site. Like I, I can understand in a, in a single family detached subdivision that, it, you know, you can practice social distancing while working in construction. But on a high-rise site, like a lot of these guys are shoulder to shoulder, um, and then and so it becomes either less efficient or less safe. And making that yeah. trade-off isn't something that people should be doing. But then there's also like this feeling of betrayal that you know the office guys get to go home um, and work from home, and, and the construction guys still have to be on site. And and so I think a lot of people are interpreting that as as a, a an allusion towards or an indication of hierarchy that some yeah. some lives are more important right because right i mean in in a time where th where it is like a interpreted as a life or death scenario that's that's basically what what's being communicated from the eyes of certain people right that's a good point and i would add to that that the the tension between office and field it's, it's always existed, right? no doubt. And culturally, I know a lot of companies have had a lot of challenge with bridging that gap, so to speak. Right. Um, and uh, I don't think these sites should be open anymore. Um, I don't think anything should be open. I think everything should stop. Um, and I'll, I'll explain why. Um, if if the medical community is in agreement on how this can spread, Dr. Fauci was just mentioning um, the U.S. Uh, head of medicine, or however you want to um, refer to him. He says that this virus can survive on plastics and metals. Right. So I think that's terrifying. Um, even in the context of supply chain, grocery stores, um, yeah. delivery, 
I think what what might happen is we're gonna find the people who are um, who are not who are immune to this, and they're gonna be slotted into the jobs that are more 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 client facing. So um, an example, aside from the construction side, um, is food delivery um, and and commerce. Um, I think there will be a significant number of people who are unemployed and who will be viewed as essential premium workers because they can't carry the disease. And they may be the ones, if there's enough of them, to be on these sites. Is that to, biologically possible though? Like to it is. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I I mean we read but we'll probably read right yeah so. I mean, it's it's really tough right now right like there's so much inf- misinformation i mean if you talk about like the whole returning to that virtue signaling dialogue right like i had been i made the post yesterday about wearing a mask and it was a contractor's dusk mask but somebody had told me that i was uh like i don't know it was an interesting commentary i think you know the person too but um that uh you know that i should have donated that mask to the medical system and actually the first thing that i did w- when i had these these contractors dust masks that I stumbled across um, in my in my tool chest. I had offered to do that um, to an individual that I know that is a, is a doctor at a senior's home, and they said no. That has no value to me at all. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't. It wouldn't protect the person wearing it. It would only protect right. people outside of you. Like it would protect people from you if you wore it. He's like, so if you should wear it because you're the most uh, most likely individual to carry this disease asymptomatically and right. i was like okay so i started wearing a mask i was like that sounds like sound advice but and, and yeah, i tried to yeah. pass that advice on and and was berated for it and then i actually extremely I'm, I'm interested to see i gotta check twitter today but an extremely prominent uh politician in toronto was telling people that uh you know they're fear-mongering by wearing masks to the grocery store and I'm like, so, so, but, and, and, and the, my point isn't to, to, oh, to crack open the dialogue about this. My point is just to say that you can get two completely different pieces of information from two completely qualified people. How the hell are mm-hmm. we, what are we supposed to make of this? Right. And it's the same. And I think that you're seeing that same challenge and you get this polarity of thought in, in, in our industry as well. Right. It's like, okay, yeah, it is safe or it is essential. Like, because I, I think economically it is, it is ridiculously essential that we keep building these buildings. But, yep. but uh, you know, from a health, health and safety perspective, you, like you can't, you can't really, when, when you, when you start going down that rabbit hole of making that trade off, then, then you're, you're doing what, what Donald Trump's doing, which is, you know, mm-hmm. Donald Trump's being accused of doing, which is, you know, uh, equating a human life to saving the economy. Do you get a nosebleed? No, I think I rubbed my, my black pen. <laughs> oh no. I saw and something on your nose and I was like, is that just the camera? That's hilarious. I'm, I'm going to go clean this off. Quick. I'll let you go anyway, man. I mean, that was a, it was a really good episode. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Man. Give me a call after. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just to, to finish off, um, <laughs> yeah give me a sign off for the podcast i'll i'll cut the video before this cool uh thanks for having me i i really appreciate uh chatting with you um, any, any, where can people find you if they want to uh if somebody wants to reach out to you with a, a question about recruitment or, or their yep. job search in the construction space and, and where can people find park yeah you can reach me at adam darvey that's d-a-r 
V-A-Y, V is in Victor, at gmail.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn as Adam Darvey Canivore. That's D-A-R-V-A-Y-D-A-N-A-V as in Victor, O-R, mouthful. Um, I'll be posting all these in yeah, the show Mark notes is, as well. So is online as the Professional Alliance of um, Real Estate and Construction. I recommend reaching out to Dan and getting connected through there. Um, we're always chatting. So, yeah. Okay, man. Go get that ink off your nose before it dries. I will. All right, buddy. Cheers. Always a pleasure, man. Yeah.